We're delighted to be yarning with Commissioner Mason today regarding National Reconciliation Week, which is a time for all Australians to learn about our shared histories, cultures and achievements, and to explore how each of us can contribute to achieving reconciliation in Australia. I'm Trent Wallace, the First Nations Advisor at Ashurst. In today's episode, I'm joined by Commissioner Mason, OAM. Here's a snapshot of our discussion. Commissioner Mason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Trent. Would you like to uh, give us an acknowledgement of country? Oh, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, I want to acknowledge elders right across the country who are leading the legacy of their nation. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I live and work, uh, the Central Islander people of Mabantua, also known as Alice Springs. And of course, I've been an Aboriginal person all of my life, and that's a result of uh, the parents that I have been the, uh, the, the First Nations people that we come from, um, and that's the Ngārdara and Karoni peoples of uh, WA. And finally, to our First Nations young people, I want to say I believe in you and your place in that legacy today and tomorrow. Thank you so much, Black Commissioner Mason. Please tell me, what does reconciliation mean to you? We know that reconciliation is a word that has different meanings. That's one of these peculiar things with the English language, isn't it? Uh, For example, it's an old Christian word about atonement and making amends of a wrong between God and the human family. I really started to understand reconciliation when I was working for Reconciliation Australia in 2007. And I was heading to my office uh, on a Saturday one day and there was another staff member working there with me. She she was a colleague, but she worked in accounts. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing on a Saturday um, at work? She says, oh, I'm working on reconciliation. And that made me chuckle a little bit uh, because of the double meaning. Um, But my understanding of reconciliation um, in the context of National Reconciliation Week is that we all as Australians have a desire to see peace and order across all communities in our nation. And of course, we, are, we want to do all that we can to make that happen. I really appreciate that and understand, you know, each First Nations person will determine what reconciliation looks like for themselves. Um, in your opinion, Commissioner Mason, how can companies support First Nations peoples and drive change through that work? Uh, I've been um, observing the increase of organisations and companies getting on board with this ambition of reconciliation for many years and particularly through the Reconciliation Action Plan program for example but there are there are other initiatives that we have across the country and and so sometimes companies are selecting the best and brightest young First Nations emerging leaders and uh, I speak for myself because I was one of those young people uh, who was selected when when I was coming through my uh, studies to, to take up opportunities. And that, that, produces, that produces good for communities, for that individual person. However, I've often thought about what companies could tap into in relation to this ambition of peace and order if they also connected to the broader story of that young person, and that's the story of their families and their communities. Um, I think companies, if they bring along the young person, along with their family and community, companies have an opportunity to multiply this concept of peace and order 
um, that's found in the solutions in First Nations communities and organisations. Um, and I think that it's really important to acknowledge that, that a young person is a product of their upbringing, but also of the broader story of their nation. We know, uh, Trent, that often Aboriginal families work together and it connects across the generations. So a simple model that I had to explain that is grandmothers, they carry the vision, mothers bring hope, and daughters are dreamers. And on the other side, for men, grandfathers carry the wisdom, fathers protect, and sons test and try. And it's important for all the three generations to be interacting and engaging with each other because through that experiences, they will also experience something richer in their relationships around that um, ambition of peace and order. I explain it to all law firms or all corporate entities that having First Nations people on board actually enriches the organisation and enlivens that hope and carries the dreams of our ancestors with us. So I really um, feel and appreciate that. As I sit here today, I know my ancestors are watching over and they, they sit around me and I really feel that today. Now, Commissioner Mason, can you please tell me, what do you want to see more of from non-First Nations Australians? Uh, Trina, I want to talk about what I am looking at and experiencing today. Um, I really want non-First Nations people to listen and comprehend the evidence coming out of the Disability Royal Commission into violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disabilities. Um, it's an Australian Royal Commission. It's our nation. These are about our fellow Australians. Um, it's also about responsibilities that we can take now in this generation to ensure uh, Australians, including First Nations people with disability, have an opportunity to have a different experience of life living in Australia. Uh, what I know is that for First Nations people who are 18 to 65, 48% uh, of that group have a disability. So that's a quite significant number. Um, and so if, uh, if non-First non, non Nations Australians can build uh, relationships with First Nations people, there's every likelihood that they will have conversations with those who have a disability and, of course, we want the, the violence, the abuse, the neglect and exploitation to be something that is not part of our story here in Australia because through that we know people experience marginalisation and exclusion. Um, and, of course, to me, this is closing the gap where it matters and can mean the most. Um, so I would really encourage non-First Nations uh, Australians to, to really pay attention to what we're uh, presenting and talking about uh, and finding through this Disability Royal Commission. It's important work. Such an important issue that comes to light, you know, as a person who lives with disability and have, has been a carer for people with disability, there are all kinds of obligations, but also marginalisations that you experience. So thank you so much for that. Now, as you touched on, disability is a huge crisis in First Nations communities. How would you like to see law firms support mob with disability? There's lots of really great work happening um, across uh, law firms, particularly in their pro bono area of work. And uh, 
and I do know of organisations who receive that pro bono work uh, from law firms and they do reach out uh, to First Nations people with disability. Uh, so this, we're not strangers in this relationship. People are really actively doing uh, work. I just really encourage people who work in law firms to work as close as they can to the grassroots. These are people often that are in, in poverty or really marginalised. And we know that that story of First Nations disability trend, it's actually an unwritten story. It needs to be told. And so anything that uh, law firms can do to enable that story, uh, that understanding to be heard in the broader community and also in First Nations community, I think is really critical. And we have to keep telling that story as long as we have these significant numbers across the different um, areas of disability, as long as we have a young population, 23% of our children, um, 0 to 18, have a disability. This is a story that continues to be really important in our community of support for First Nations people with disability. So I thank those that are already working. I encourage those uh, who may not have a story to tell, please, please build a build rapport and relationship to find a place to make that contribution. You touched on grassroots, which is something I'm really passionate about, and it's about creating that infrastructure so that they can receive the report. Could you just touch on a little bit more about grassroots organisations and, and that kind of importance about really platforming and prioritising those voices? We've got a, a whole network of Aboriginal community-controlled organisations across Australia, and uh, some of the early organisations um, were, were health, and now we've got an amazing sector, uh, an Aboriginal primary health sector that's also connected to the broader health infrastructure, if, you are, if I can use that word. Uh, that's taken a long, long time to build. We don't have that infrastructure for First Nations people with disability. It's connected to that broader disability story. So the, the first place I would say uh, in starting the conversation is around those community-controlled organisations and one of the reasons for that to be a place to start is we know that those organisations are member-led. So I say that because to have a member-led organisation means that that organisation is accountable to the membership of that community, that place and that's important around learning and improving the way that services are provided. Um, so I'd really encourage people to do that. Thank you so much, that Commissioner. Now, you're the only First Nations Commissioner on board with the Disability Royal Commission, so I understand and appreciate the constraints on your time, and I thank you so much for this. But um, in closing, Commissioner Mason, and in relation to National Reconciliation Week, what do you ask of businesses? Uh, I recently read uh, that by 2028, it's predicted that we will have about 1 million First Nations people living in Australia, which is not that far down the track. And mm. what I wanted to uh, leave as a final thought was how are we deciding today what sort of country First Nations children and First Nations children with disability are born into? Because we can, we can decide that today and think about that today. Uh, we can determine the type of life experience, um, their trajectory they have um, in all settings. For example, early childhood, 
education, work, health, housing, their experiences in youth detention, prison, and in relationships. This is in our hands to do now, to think about that. Absolutely. Commissioner Mason, thank you for not just this, but for being an inspiration to me as the first and only person in my role in a global law firm and you being the only Aboriginal commissioner on such a, a massive, massive task. You've provided me with a lot of encouragement and inspiration, you know, for you to continue what you do. And it really means the world to me. So I thank you so much for joining me. And I thank you so much for taking time out to yarn about these issues with me. So thank you so much. My, my pleasure. And um, I just hope that uh, your time in that workplace uh, is not only a rewarding experience for you, but for your colleagues where they've had the privilege of working alongside a First Nations man um, who is proud I mean, it was passionate and I think ambitious, which is always a positive attribute because we are really working incredibly hard to make that difference in, in our community. So I wish you well in all that you do. Thank you, Commissioner Mason. That means the world. Thank you. Wow, what a powerful yarn that was. Thank you all for listening to this special episode of ESG Matters at Asha. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To find out more about the topics raised in this episode, head over to www.ashearth.com forward slash podcast. To ensure you don't miss any future episodes, subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, check out our other episodes and feel free to leave a rating or review. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.